America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day to go back to a great slogan that originated uh, with General Douglas MacArthur. The slogan, there is no substitute for victory. Uh, that goes along with a, a powerful piece uh, by Boris Johnson. Remember him? Uh, one of the more substantive and compelling British prime ministers in recent history, at least. Let us hope the, the very, very best for Rishi Sunak, uh, who is, is now at 10 Downing Street. But uh, the, this, this goes to one of the, the, the very, I think, deep lessons for American politicians and really for the American people. For all of us as a as a people, is that this war that is going on in Ukraine and is going on and on and on, and there is a a, a great deal of destruction. Uh, obviously, the cost is tremendous in human lives on both sides, and uh, devastation that is very very real. And Boris Johnson has a, a piece that he wrote. He was a journalist before he was a politician. And a darn good one, by the way. I th think this piece is extremely powerful and important. He, um, he writes, uh, Mr. Zelensky's people have suffered the most bestial bombardment in Europe since World War II. Whole cities have been broken and blackened by Mr. Putin's war machine. Tens of thousands of innocents killed. Every day it goes on. Without pity or remorse, captives tortured, women raped, schools and kindergartens deliberately targeted. Every day the Iranian-made drones thump into the cities, uh, turning off the lights, cutting the water supply. Peace? Of course Ukraine wants peace. The economy is in ribbons. Mr. Zelensky's government can barely pay its public servants. Of course it would like a negotiation. There is only one problem. It is the same problem, writes Boris Johnson, that has confronted Mr. Zelensky every day since February 24th. There is nothing to negotiate. No would-be mediator on earth has been able to come up with any compromise that even begins to be plausible. Even if the Ukrainians were to be persuaded to surrender their rights to some of their land, which they wouldn't, couldn't, and shouldn't be, there is no reason to believe that Mr. Putin would stick to the deal. He has already officially annexed four oblasts. He says that Kherson and Zaporozhye and Luhansk and Donetsk are all now legally part of Russia. As his batty 2021 essay made clear, Mr. Putin is possessed by a, a belief that Ukraine is part of a holy and indivisible union with Russia. He has spent so long in his COVID bubble uh, taking semi-mystic advice from bearded Orthodox priests that he genuinely believes he is fated to avenge the insults of history and reunify the empire of Peter the Great. 
Of course, Mr. Zelensky would like to negotiate, but you cannot negotiate with a murderous liar who will continue whatever he may claim to try to destroy your country. There's only one way to end the war, says the former prime minister, and that is to help the Ukrainians expel the Russian invaders from every mile of the territory they have viciously annexed and certainly everything taken since February 24th. And please, can we all stop the cringe-making nonsense about the risk of backing Putin into a corner or forcing him to lash out? We make him sound like Tony Montana at the end of Scarface, crazily waving a nuke and shouting, say hello to my little friend. If Mr. Putin, which is a great, great analogy and a reference to a great movie moment that everybody remembers. It's not the same when Al Pacino doesn't deliver it. In any event, if Mr. Putin were to use a weapon of mass destruction, he would be tendering Russia's resignation from the Club of Civilized Nations. He would earn the revulsion of the swing states in Asia, Latin America, and Africa that are currently cutting him so much slack. He would lose his Chinese patrons, he would terrify his own population, and he would plunge his country into economic isolation of cryogenic ferocity. It isn't going to happen. We should stop talking about it. There is only one way forward, and that is for the West to continue to support the liberation of the Ukrainian people, perhaps the most transparently just and righteous cause in international affairs in living memory. The Ukrainians have shown what they can do with a mixture of inspired leadership and the heroism that comes from knowing that you are fighting for your country's very existence. They have put the Russians to flight in Kharkiv and now in Kherson. Let uh, our job is to give the Ukrainians the help they need, he says. Uh, high Mars artillery tanks and planes to defend their homes and their families and to restore what they had, a free, sovereign, independent, and democratic Ukraine. The assistance of the West, above all of the U.S., has been outstanding and invaluable. Our job is to continue to give that help until the Ukrainians have won, and decisively. And then, of course, there will be time to negotiate a peaceful, orderly, and lasting relationship and friendship between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, look, Putting this into context, and I think the important context here is that this is perhaps the most transparently just and righteous cause in international affairs and living memory. He's right about that. And this is should provide the context for the moment that we live in. And by the way, should put into utter darkness and outer darkness one of the most moronic voices in American public affairs. I mean, really, really up there at the top of the list, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, she basically was trying to compare the invasion by Putin with the invasion from uh, unauthorized immigrants at our southern border. Uh, listen, this is clip one. We had 5 million people cross our border illegally since Joe Biden took office. And let's compare that to how many Russians have invaded Ukraine. 82,000 Russians have invaded Ukraine. I think the American people and the taxpayers of this country deserve to know why the Biden administration 
And this Congress is so interested in funding the protection of Ukraine's border and not the protection of our border. Uh, you know, most of the the people who've immigrated to the United States are not equipped with weapons of war. No, they really aren't. If they, uh, if they came across with uh, rocket launchers and... Uh, and missiles or uh, drones, and their purpose coming across our border was to kill as many Americans as they possibly can. That was what happened in Ukraine. And what's so absurd about this is not that it it criminalizes uh, everybody who is trying to come into the United States, uh, and and again, uh, some of whom are are at least making efforts to try to follow our very confused and ineffective rules um, but it it trivializes a genocide it it trivializes war crimes and uh, again there are no American cities they look bad and yes we definitely need more border security but for God's sake to compare uh, El Paso to Bucha is uh, simply not acceptable or appropriate. We're going to be speaking to Republican consultant uh, Scott uh, Jennings about the road to victory. What can the Republican Party do to do better than it did in the last election? We will be right back. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? The Michael Medved Show. And there are some stories that I am not deeply honored to report, but uh, I do think they deserve and require some attention. Uh, and that is the case of a uh, mutilation of a um, literally dozens of graves in uh, the Chicago area and uh, by white supremacist uh, neo-Nazis. Dozens of headstones at a uh, Jewish cemetery have been defaced with swastikas and offensive graffiti and bright red paint. I've looked at the photographs. It's fairly awful. And uh, police are urgently looking for the culprits responsible. The incident occurred uh, this week when police were called to the congregation Amechad Jewish Cemetery in Waukegan, Illinois, after 16 large headstones were found with bright red swastikas painted on them, along with 23 more headstones that had been uh, defaced with other offensive graffiti. The, uh, that makes a total of 39 headstones. Imagine if it were uh, if it were a relative of yours, if it was your grandfather lying beneath those stones. In the immediate aftermath of the continued escalation of anti-Semitic incidents, this one hits hard, said David Goldenberg, who is the uh, Midwest Regional Director for the Anti-Defamation League. 
what it really represents is this normalization of anti-Semitism. And that is what we find to be incredibly concerning. We have to remember that this is a fringe element in our society and we far outnumber them. So we have to be smarter than they are. We have to be just as aggressive as they are, and but we need to be louder than that. And that's how you fight back. And uh, actually, I, I think you, you, you also fight back by uh, making it very clear that graffiti in general, but particularly uh, racist, anti-Semitic, uh, disgusting graffiti that of fosters that qualifies as a hate crime and that fosters the atmosphere of violence and persecution that should be taken particularly seriously by legal authorities uh, anti-semitic incidents have increased by 430 percent in Illinois in the six years since 2016 in uh, 2016 there were 10 incidents reported and uh, then most recently a total of 53 uh, there are a total of 2717 incidents of assault harassment or vandalism were reported nationally to the anti-defamation league in 2021 that's the most recent year for which they have statistics of course that's a historical high against American Jews since the anti-defamation league started uh, tracking such data in 1979 I mean this is appalling and it comes at the same time that there's another story that I, I think requires attention because right now the the hits just keep on coming and there are so many incidents at the moment people are all appalled and shocked by those hideous murders in Moscow Idaho uh, near the University of Idaho and apparently some of the details are too gruesome even to talk about but that was not a political crime at least there's no evidence that it was it, it was in Buffalo uh, the man who was accused of killing 10 people in a racist massacre at a Buffalo supermarket earlier this year this year has agreed to plead guilty to all state charges against him, according to uh, two victims' relatives. The, uh, uh, the killer was uh, 19 years old at the time of these murders. His name was, Garn uh, his name was uh, Gendron, and uh, you may remember that, Peyton Gendron, and he live-streamed the attack and left behind ample online writings illustrating his racist and anti-Semitic beliefs. And he has been indicted on 25 counts, including 10 counts of first-degree murder, 10 counts of second-degree murder, charges of hate crimes, as well as a single count of domestic terrorism motivated by hate, which carries a penalty of life imprisonment without parole. And, uh, again... You, you wonder about the decision to forego a trial and a number of the victims families have wanted to see a trial so people would be warned against the nature of this horror the uh, Buffalo mayor uh, Byron Brown who is uh, African-American 
He has uh, said this has been very difficult for the families. It will open up uh, that wound again, but I think it's uh, good that this individual is pleading guilty. The suspect is an avowed white supremacist who said in his writings that he had chosen uh, East Buffalo because of its large population of black residents, traveling some 200 miles from his home in southern tier town of Conklin, New York. He shot 13 people, almost all of them black people, including three who survived the attack. He uh, used a semi-automatic rifle and wore camouflage and body armor and uh, with the intention of killing, quote, as many blacks as possible, shooting some 60 rounds inside the supermarket. He was arrested after surrendering to uh, police unharmed. Uh, before the attack, the authorities uh, said that the suspect had posted a white supremacist rant on Discord, a chat application. On the morning of the attack, he left a note in his bedroom saying he had to commit this attack because, I quote, I care for the future of the white race, according to a federal complaint. A report le released last month by the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, described how the suspect had sought to live stream his killings to amplify his uh, white supremacist beliefs, hoping to inspire others to follow with similar racist attacks. Uh, this is a, a problem in our country. I was actually speaking uh, to, uh, to my wife about this whole idea that we have a unique problem of physical violence. The problem is it's not entirely unique uh, because it runs through our history like a dark, deep, bloody river. And uh, it's just now it has become uh, particularly intense and repulsive. And too much of our politics has gone in that direction. So how do we bring it back to the uh, goodness and greatness of America? We'll be talking about that with Scott Jennings, Republican political consultant. What do you do to elevate the political parties, both of them? We'll be right back on The Medved Show. Welcome back to our show, uh, Scott Jennings, who is uh, an insightful and artful columnist. He's a uh, commentator and uh, a um, PR guy for the Bush 43 White House. He, uh, he also has uh, made contributions at the Kennedy School at uh, Harvard. He is a regular writer for USA Today and the LA Times and more. Uh, Scott, right now uh, we are beginning a new era with a Republican House of Representatives with a very narrow Republican uh, majority. Uh, it appears that the majority may be uh, down to what, what, 220 votes, 220 Republican members? of the 218 they need? 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I know there's a few races yet to be called, but it, it seems likely that it's going to be in that 220 to. 222 range so not not a lot of margin to work with if you're kevin mccarthy <laughs> no so what what can kevin mccarthy do it see it seems that uh today and yesterday uh all you heard about from incoming committee chairman like jim jordan and james comer of kentucky uh was uh that the the number one agenda item the most urgent item on the republican agenda is investigating Hunter Biden. Do you think that's a good look for the party? I think it's a necessary look for the kinds of people Kevin McCarthy is currently presiding over. Uh, I think in that conference, there's this pent-up demand for that investigation and others. Obviously, the Afghanistan pullout and the border crisis, I think, will also be on the docket. But that particular issue is in the craw of uh, a great many people that Kevin McCarthy needs to support him when he goes to become speaker. So I'm not surprised that they're putting it out there now. But as a general political policy matter, I don't think it's the top issue that the American people are expecting action on. But <laughs> as a party matter, it is, uh, you know, for Kevin, I think it's uh, it's something they have to get done because of the, the demand for it in the grassroots base. Is there going to be a serious attempt, uh, as far as you know, to get the uh, debt ceiling dealt with and uh, so that uh, we don't have some kind of default or catastrophic financial breakdown in the next couple of weeks? I don't think they're going to deal with the debt ceiling in the lame duck. I think it's going to be dealt with next year. That's what I've heard. I guess things could change. I also don't think there's any appetite. Uh, by Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell either to hold this up. Uh, although I do think there's going to be a lot of clamoring in the rank and file in the House to demand concessions out of Biden and the Democrats here. But the leadership doesn't seem to want to take it to the brink. And McConnell's never been in favor of default. And McCarthy, based on what I've read him say publicly, isn't either. So I, I would be surprised if we wind up in a crisis situation here, uh, but like you would describe. But uh, my suspicion is former President Trump and his most ardent supporters in the House are going to be calling for, for drastic measures. It's just a question of how close to the brink do we get. Uh, what, a, what about the, um, um, the, the shift on independence? Uh, it, uh, it it basically was the poor performance among independents where compared to the presidential election back in 2020, the, uh, uh, the independents went uh, a 4% more to the Democrats. When, when you're talking such about a big group like that, which is a third of the electorate, uh, that can just kill you. And the New York Times highlighted uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, the Republicans lost 20 points among independents. In Arizona, Republicans uh, uh, among independents lost 36 points. Um, what What's wrong? Why are Why are Republicans uh, losing? the independent vote in such terrible terms that they absolutely need to win. Yeah, it was pretty crazy on election night. I was sitting on the set out there on, on CNN 
and they were handing us the exit polls and everything seemed to line up. Biden was unpopular. You know, he was in the low 40s on approval. His policies, more Americans thought his policies were hurting, not helping. Um, you know, down the line, you could see all the things lining up that we thought were broadly the contours of the election. And at the bottom of the page, <laughs> it had a section that said independence. And in every single Senate race, it was independent, going for the Democrat, going for the Democrat. And I thought I was taking crazy pills. This has never happened in my career. I've been at this for over 20 years, and we've never had a midterm where the party in power was unpopular and the independence broke for the party in power. And yet it happened in this election, and you have to ask yourself why that is. And, and then the next, and the why next is it? Was pretty obvious. It, well, the next section was pretty obvious. For as unpopular as Biden was, Donald Trump was even more unpopular. He was in the 38, 39 percent range, and it appeared to me, to the extent that voters uh, were looking at these candidates as wholly owned subsidiaries of Donald Trump or his brand, despite their misgivings about Biden, they stuck with Biden and his party and you know the the implications for the senate races in 22 are obvious but the implications for 2024 <laughs> are even more clear to me i don't know how you could look at the results from this midterm and conclude donald trump has any path to a national victory uh in the next presidential election so i think that's why frankly you're seeing a lot of people clamoring for another option desantis or something else right now and trump's uh, trump's announcement appears to have fallen flat You've advised people, uh, and if you were Glenn Youngkin or if you were Ron DeSantis or uh, you were Tim Scott, any of the alternatives that have been so prominently mentioned to Donald Trump, uh, would it be better for them to hold their fire? Or since Trump is out there as an announced candidate, should they get directly into the race? I think it depends on the person. Uh, some of these folks are going to need a lot of time to build a campaign. But for someone like Ron DeSantis and maybe even Glenn Youngkin, um, I'm not sure they have to get into the race right now. But I do think they need to send a signal that they are seriously considering it. And, um, you know, whether that means traveling to early states, whether it means just simply saying, getting a lot of calls and i'll be in touch in a few weeks uh, whatever i i do think that signal needs to be sent uh because it strikes me that at least for desantis that's where all the energy is and there are a lot of people around the country uh donors scraps party leaders you name it who are really waiting on him and until he makes a decision about whether or not he's going to be a serious candidate for this office uh they're, they're willing to, to keep their powder dry uh, back to Trump or not look elsewhere. So I think that specifically if I were in his shoes, I'd probably give at least some kind of a nod that he's considering it, uh, even if he's not interested in getting into the race at this moment. Uh, but he's the one everybody's waiting on, that's for sure. He, had, he he was probably the the only Republican on election night that had a had what you consider a great night. Oh, and uh, right now we have a special uh, counsel now to investigate whether there should be charges against the president. Is uh, in in just a, we have less than a minute. Uh, is it possible that that new appointment will actually help President Trump? It strikes me that it delays what could happen to him, and I don't know what's going to happen to him. But it certainly it appears to me to be another you know, putting off of of reckoning that he may face over various issues. And, and he may never face any reckoning. I mean, they may, they may conclude 
none of this is actionable and, and let it drop. But it, but at a minimum, it strikes me that it puts it off for some period of time. Uh, Scott Jennings, uh, his latest commentaries are linked at our website at michaelmedved.com. Uh, we uh, we have some callers uh, and uh, who want to defend Marjorie Taylor Greene in her comparison of uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Putin's thugs to the invasion of America by uh, unauthorized migrants. We will get to that and more coming up on the MedBed. Michael Medved Show, 1-800-955-1776. Earlier in the show, I uh, spoke very harshly about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, comparison of the uh, uh, border of the United States being violated by five million people who have come here illegally since President Biden uh, took the oath of office and compared that to how many Russians had invaded Ukraine. And instead of 5 million, it's uh, 80,000, as she saw it, though it's probably more than that because they have actually retreated, left Ukraine, come back with others. It's probably a total of somewhat more than 80,000. But in any event, is that a, a valid comparison in any sense? And what I find so terrible about it is it not only compares people who, for the most part, have come here to the United States, not with the aim of raping and pillaging and destroying, but of uh, trying to build a life. And uh, it also trivializes uh, Russian troops who are armed with more than leaf blowers. I mean, the the, the whole comparison is, uh, it seems to me, appalling. But some of you disagree. Uh, for instance, uh, Michael in Renton, you're on the Medved Show. Hello, Michael. Hey, Mike. Um, I'd like to dispute your, uh, your dislike of Marjorie Taylor Greene and her comments about the border. You know, about fourteen to 15,000 Ukrainians died uh, in the war so far. But in the last couple of years of records, almost 80,000 Americans died of fentanyl overdose. And where does fentanyl come from? Uh, fentanyl comes from all kinds of places. And uh, the idea it that... across the border, Michael. You know that. I'm sorry. The and idea that it is brought... the I, What percentage of immigrants who have entered the United States illegally do you think are involved with fentanyl traffic? Uh, wait, how much? How many drugs have they? How many fentanyl pills have they stopped enough to kill all? No, no. I I think fentanyl is horrible. I I am in favor of the war on drugs, and I think that people who say we don't need a war on drugs are blind. We obviously lose more than a hundred thousand people a year to fentanyl, but. That's very different from uh, uh, burning down entire cities, uh, uh, raping, murdering, torturing. Uh, I, and, and again, should we get have better border security? Of course we should. But the comparison 
trivializes the real horror in Ukraine. And that's the problem with it. The people addicted on the street and the crimes they commit is the real horror that is the bigger problem. Okay, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, do, do you really believe that there is any part of the United States that is facing the level of, of destruction, cruelty, and barbarism that uh, the people of Ukraine have faced? Is there what what part of the United States what part of the United States looks like Ukraine right now? Uh, Seattle, <laughs> yeah, L.A. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. What what does by by the way? One of the things that has been very very carefully investigated. Most of the people who are living on the street in Seattle and L.A who are a very real problem, and I think it's one of the biggest problems our country doesn't want to face, uh, they're almost entirely native-born. Because uh, one of the things about unauthorized immigrants, illegal immigrants to this country, the undocumented, is they don't want to get picked up and deported. And uh, if you can see, go, go, go to any of the homeless encampments. They're not speaking Spanish. That, that's not the point. The point is, is the old. Well, the point is what? What part of I asked you if if you're going to compare the devastation in Ukraine to something going on in the United States, I'd, I'd like to know where it's going on. The, the sheer death of, of the death and destruction of people, of families, of of entire cities as a result of the drug, the, the fentanyl, it, not to mention every other drug. Okay, so I, again, tell me the entire that, cities that have been destroyed. Because one of the things that there was just another report about it, and this has been the circumstance for 10 years, is uh, cities on the border have lower crime rates than cities in the interior. Uh, San Diego, Phoenix, El Paso has one of the lowest crime rates in the country. And it, it's, it, it's simply the, the objectionable part about the analogy, it seems to me, is not what it, it is saying uh, about, uh, about Ukraine. And it's not what it's saying even about the, quote, invading armies. Because I think invading armies are a ter terrible, terrible thing. But first of all, there's not an invading army. They're, quote, invading individuals. And they're not coming here for the purpose of destruction. And the, the problem here is what you're saying, in effect, about Russia, which is minimizing the one of the worst war crimes, certainly in the last 50 years. And uh, uh, do you believe that uh, uh, they're there? By the way, uh, according to the Department uh, uh, Department of uh, Drug Enforcement, um, the uh, China remains the primary source of fentanyl and fentanyl related substances trafficked through international mail and express consignment operations environment as well as the main source for all fentanyl-related substance trafficked into the United States. Seizures of fentanyl sourced from China 
average less than one kilogram in weight and often test above 90% concentration of, four, of pure fentanyl. Uh, I uh, appreciate uh, your, your call, Scott, and I'm, I'm, I appreciate your making uh, the points that you did. Uh, this also came in from Bob in uh, Sammamish. He wrote, uh, Michael Onmo, by no means a fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene, but you utterly missed her point whilst busily denigrating her. The U.S. is being invaded through our southern border with deadly consequences. Look to the families of the 107,000 victims of fentanyl poisoning if you don't think there are mass fatalities as a result. That was Ms. Taylor Greene's point. No, it wasn't. Her point was that uh, we should be diverting attention from uh, the helping our allies in Ukraine uh, avoid mass murder to uh, uh, what uh, to sending high Mars to the border patrol no one no one wants to I shouldn't say no one because there are obviously officials of the Biden administration who've been very lax in enforcing uh, border security but uh, Bob and Sammamish writes there are issues of human trafficking, growing drug cartel presence in the U.S., and other nefarious activity, which the Border Patrol is desperately trying to control without any support from the White House. By all means, there should be White House support. But uh, the, the confrontation with organized evil, and that is what you have with the Russian invasion, is something different. And then Christian in California writes in on email, you keep saying we can do better. But at this point, I think you have way too much faith in humanity. For at least the past decade, it's been one disappointment after another from both our elected officials and from citizens who keep voting for them. All the historical greats that you admire, they're gone and they are never going to happen again, especially how these current generations education has been and how much indoctrination has been pumped into them just in college I've had one professor repeatedly state that the only reason communism failed is because people weren't willing to share oh I'm so, so sorry you're subjected to that and another class sharing a video trying to paint Marxism in a positive light I want to be more optimistic and I really want you to convince me of reasons to be so but it's just getting harder and harder. You should be optimistic because there are people like you out there who take that kind of provocation of painting Marxism in a positive light and I'm sure prepare yourselves to win the arguments in the other direction. Look, America was in a terrible state when Ronald Reagan was elected in November of 1980. Uh, a terrible state economically with inflation much worse than it is today, much worse, and unemployment high and uh, communism on the march. Things change and it doesn't take much, but it takes a united country determined to be this greatest nation on God's green earth. Fred